All right, Trevor, we'll say good morning. Begin by thanking our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors, for the month of Iyar Yonah and Shashi Ehrenfeld for dedicating the Shurim and Trashos this month. Lezecher Nishmasun, his grandfather Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron. Mark Kerstat for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of his mother, Chana Bas Shragai. Our week of learning sponsors, Leah Sol, in memory of her mother, Marguerite Streit, in commemoration of her ninth yard site and our Dafyomi sponsors for today, the Plunka family, in memory of in commemoration of the yard site, incredible of Shmuel Hanavi. The yard site is today Shmuel ben Elkanah, the Buchwalter family, in memory of Yuda Buchwalter, Yaakov Yehuda ben Usher Zelig Halevi, who died and was buried in the Lodge Ghetto on the twenty eighth of ER fifty seven oh two nineteen forty two. And Michael and Rachel Turniansky, commemoration of the Yardzeit of Michael's mother, Jeanette Turniansky, Shindel Bas Mordechai, Allah Hashem Zechron Levracha. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshama Salav and Aliyah, the families in Chama, we thank all of our sponsors. And of course, we dedicate our learning today in the Zuchos of Yom Yerushalayim. Baruch Hashem celebrating the incredible contemporary miracle for our people of the regaining of the city of Yerushalayim. And an incredible schus that we have. You know, sometimes, especially, you know, you look in the news today and you see the clashes that are going on in East Yerushalayim. And sometimes the clashes and the politics overshadow the gift and the fact that we are blessed with the eternal capital of the Jewish people of Yerushalayim, Yerak Kodesh. And Halavayim, Yerat Hashem, will have greater ease in getting there, hopefully, in the, in the weeks and the months to come. But understand, we live in incredible times. For so many generations, when the Jew davened with Yerushalayim, Ircha Barachamim Tashuf, Jew davened to go back to Yerushalayim, it was an aspirational yearning. Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe, maybe one day. And today, Baruch Hashem, when we go to Yerushalayim, so again, our greatest challenge is to figure out which hotel we should stay at. Right? right. Where, 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 should, where should I go? Who has the best breakfast? Who has you know, the best, best deals? And what a great schuss we have to live in these times. And we have to, so as we say, you know, however you celebrate Yom Yerushalayim, the truth is every day a Jew has to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that when we say that tefillah, it's no longer aspirational pining. It's real for us. It's real for us. And we hope that in the schuss of giving thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for this great miracle on this great day, that Emir Tzashem Yerushalayim should be restored to its full glory, Eretz Yisrael to its full glory, the coming of Mashiach, Mehir Rabbi Aminu. Amen. 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 With that, let us begin. A beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Chavtes, 29. And we are picking up Emir Hashem on 28B. Chavtes, Amad Beis. We left off at the two dots. The two dots on the bottom. So we'll say, remember again, five lines after the line. So we'll say, remember again, Rabbi Masya ben Shmuel had a, had a longer version of the exchange between the coin on the roof and the coin on the ground, right? You had a whole machlokas, exactly what the speaking parts were. But again, that's not important for us for today. What's important for us today to remember is as follows. That in the beginning, apparently the exchange was very simple. A guy went up to the roof, coming up to the roof, and one word. One word was? Barakai. Right, Barakai. That, that's it. That's it. It's morning. Then they had this whole dialogue. Barakai, okay, it's morning. Here, Mizrach, Adshe, Hebron, is until Hebron. So the Gemara says, why do they need this entire exchange? Because one time it happened that they got confused. And they confused the moonlight with sunlight. They thought ultimately, again, it had or the, dawn, the day had already dawned. They offered up the Tamid. And they realized they had offered up the Tamid too early. And therefore, as a result, had to take the Tamid out to the base Ashkita. 
had to take the tamid out to to be to be they, well, they slaughtered it erroneously, therefore it had to be burned. And again, as a result, going forward, they went out and they instituted this more this more intense dialogue, this uh, right dawn verification process. To which the Gemara says, simple question: Do people really confuse? Sunlight, or I should say, moonlight with sunlight. So the Gemara Sabbatai, we learn Rabbi Omer, Eino Dome Timor Shalavana, Le Timor Shalchama. Literally, again, a ray of moonlight or, or a shaft of sunlight, of moonlight, excuse me, does not get confused with a ray or a shaft of sunlight. Why? Timor Shalavana, Metanava Ola Kimakil. So moonlight, apparently, again, on both sides, the, the beam, the beam remains constant, right? It remains Ola Kimakil, right? It's straight like a staff. Sunlight is often diffused in multiple different directions. So to which the Gemara says, It was a cloudy day. It was a cloudy day. So as a result, the moonlight was diffused as well. And that's why the multiple rays made it look like sunlight. So the Gemara says, The Ever Papa says, You see from here, that I will say, interestingly enough, when it's cloudy outside, so clouds have the ability to diffuse the sun's rays. So apparently, like when it's sunny, sometimes the sun's strength can be concentrated in one area. When it's cloudy, the sunlight is diffused, and wherever the sunlight able, is able to get through is a powerful beam. So the Gemara says, okay, that's interesting, but am I not Kamina? What does it really matter? To which the Gemara says, that uh, to go ahead and spread out hides to dry. Interestingly enough, if it's a cloudy day, pretty much anywhere you put the hide, the hide is going to dry. Rashi says, Liavesh. Furthermore, again, the Gemara says, Inami, Rava, Bechama, So we'll say this is very interesting. If you take a look, the Rashi points out, we had this in Pesach, in Pesachim, that a woman should not go ahead and knead dough outdoors on Pesach. I have a concern that the heat of the sun may accelerate the chimut's process. Well, if it's a cloudy day, she really should not go ahead and need outside at all, right? She should not need outside at all because, again, anywhere where the sun manages to poke through the clouds, the sunlight will be intense and can intensify or accelerate the chimut's process. Good. Am Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman says, Zuama de Shimsha, Kashim is Shimsha. So we'll say this is very interesting. Rashi says over here, Zuama de Shimsha, Osa Chomsha Mu'unan. This is interesting. The Gemara says that the heat of a cloudy day could sometimes be more intense than the heat of a non cloudy day. So the Gemara says, What's the Simanach? What's the Raya to this? Dona de Chala. So we'll say the Raya to this is poking a hole in a jar of vinegar. What does that mean? So apparently, if you just go ahead and you poke one hole in a jar of vinegar, the, the scent, the aroma that comes out is so strong because it's only escaping through one area. So to on a cloudy day where the sun is not able to come through every place, but only certain places, the heat becomes much more intense. So Gemara says, Shavrivi de Shimsha, Rashi says over here, Shavriri Looking into a beam of sun that comes through the clouds is more detrimental than looking into the sun, the unadulterated sun itself. So the Gemara says, This Simanach, what's the what's the what's the right to that? Dilfa. So also it's very interesting. Dilfa means dripping that it's more painful for a person to have constant dripping of water 
on their body than it is to fully immerse in water all at once. So, so to again, the little bit of dripping, right? The ray of sun down on you or looking into that ray of sun could be more detrimental than the actual looking into the sun. Okay, says Gemara Bosei Tap of Chavtes, an incredible Gemara here. Hirhuri Avera, Kasha Me'avera. Bosei, constantly thinking about sin is even worse than sin itself. We're going to define this in just what this means in a moment. Look at Rashi. Hirhuri Avera, Taivas Noshim. So Rashi understands this to mean constantly thinking about immorality. Right? Constantly thinking about women, thinking about immorality. Has a greater detrimental effect on the body than the sin itself. So we'll say this is what's interesting about this. See, Rashi's understanding over here that it doesn't literally mean thinking about sin is worse on a, on a, a let's say, a halachic level than sin. Obviously, that's not the case because Lamaisa, again, the Maisa Avera, committing an act of an Avera is certainly much worse than thinking about an Avera, right? One is, not, one is held responsible for their actions, not necessarily their thoughts. So the Gemara, that's why Rashi points out over here, Rashi says on a physical level, that literally again, constantly thinking about hate weakens the body. It has almost like a physically detrimental effect more than the actual sin itself. So the Gemara says, the proof to this is, Recha de Bisra. So this is interesting. Rashi says, Recha de Bisra, Hamariach basar tzli, kashalo reach ma'ochemisavalo. If somebody smells roasting meat, you smell a barbecue, and you can't have it, right? That desire to have what you cannot have could actually have a deleterious physical effect on a person. So I was like, this yesod of here, hurei mitzvah, avera, kasha avera, is a fascinating concept. So I want to quote to you, there is a beautiful svasems, because I was like, the reading of this, right, the pashup shot is strange. That thoughts, preoccupation of an Avera is worse than the Maisa Avera itself. So everybody's bothered by this. Because at first, it's almost like, first of all, that's incredibly problematic. Because the truth is, like, I, I could work on controlling my behaviors. Controlling my thoughts is, is a whole different thing. And the notion that Hirhuri Avera, thoughts of Avera, even worse than a Maisa Avera, is a very scary notion. That's why Rashi understands that to me, you know, what Chazal are saying is the physical toll that preoccupation with sin, and specifically immorality, in other words, the physical toll that constantly yearning for illicit sexuality could, could place on a person's body physically is even worse than the physical toll that the Avera itself takes on you. The Sfas Semes, the Gerab says something a little bit different. Listen to how beautiful this is. He says... He says, um, listen to this. Obviously, from a liability perspective, the commission of the actual physical Avira is much worse than the Avira itself. This is incredible. You see, when I commit an Avera, when I commit an Avera, I, I, I engage in a physical act of sin. What I'm doing is, I am negatively impacting the guf. Because the guf has sinned, so I'm negatively impacting the guf. When I constantly think about schet, hear her Avera, says the Sassam, this is incredible, I'm actually impacting the Neshama. So, do you hear what's happening over here? Because think about this, thought, 
thought is the greatest kach we have. Thought is related to our ruchnius. Because the ability to think, cognition, the ability to process is part of our higher spiritual order. So when I am constantly preoccupied with hir hurchet, the Svasema says, to a certain degree, that's actually more damaging to the neshama than physical hate itself. People say it's an incredible you so No, again, I, I want to be clear. From a liability perspective, of course, it's physical hate for which I have liability. You want to speak about an onesh perspective, punishment perspective? That's only if you commit the sin. This Rahu doesn't hold me responsible, so to speak, for my thoughts. But Lamaisa, when you want to talk about what takes a toll, and we know because we know this, what really takes a toll on me? Hirhur Avera Kasha Meavera. When I sin, I know what I've done. I've done a negative physical act. I've impacted the goof. But when my thoughts are constantly preoccupied by illicit, inappropriate things, says the Svas MS, that's when I damage my neshama. That's what has the impact on my neshama. Both incredible. But I want to tell you the converse is true also. Listen to this idea. The Rambam, beginning of Hilchos Tshuva. The Rambam says, Kishiyasa Tshuva. Kishiyasa Tshuva. Chayiv lehizvados. Parak Aleph, Halacha Aleph. When a person will do tshuva, he is chayiv to do vidui. Sort of gifter, zechatantik livracha. Rabbi Salavitchik has the same idea. Says the Ram, why, the, what do you mean kishiyasa tshuva? When a person will do tshuva, chayiv lezvados. Just say, chayiv lezvados. What do you mean kishiyasa tshuva? When a person will do tshuva. And Rav Gifter says so beautifully that there is a state of tshuva before vidui. And what's the state of tshuva before confession, before vidui? Here, what he calls Hirhure tshuva, thoughts of tshuva. It was said we know this. That's the moment in my mind where I say to myself, things have to change. I don't even know what the change is. I don't know what the change is going to be, how it's going to manifest itself, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go. But I just know that things have to change. And in that moment, I both say, where I have that level of cognition that things have to change, that's called hirhure tshuva, thoughts of tshuva. That is already the beginning of the tshuva process. I, but I haven't done anything. I haven't changed anything. I didn't even clap. I didn't do anything. It doesn't matter. The same way that because when I'm constantly mentally preoccupied with sin, with desires, I'm damaging my neshama. Because hirhur, that thought, is part of my higher order of my ruchnius. The positive is true as well. When I flip that cognitive switch and I decide I want to be better, I want to be different, even though I haven't executed, I haven't done anything with that, that already lifts me up. Incredible. So the Gemara goes right there. Shili de kaita, kasha mikaita. So the Gemara says, literally the end of the summer, right? The end of the summer, end of the shili de kaita. Rashi says, Elo, the end of the summer is more intense than the beginning of the summer. The heat is more intense. Visi manach, and the raya is tanura shigira an oven that's been heated. In other words, I both say that the heat that occurs at the end of the summer is building on a few months of prior heat. So that heat is felt more intensely, just like a fi- an oven that's been fired up for a while and then you kindle another fire in it. That subsequent fire generates even greater heat because it's coming on the heels of the previous heat. Good. So Yomar says, Ashisa de Sisva, Kasha de Kaita. A uh, winter fever is more intense than a summer fever. Visimarach tanura karira. And the riot, that is a cold oven. It takes a lot more heat to heat up a cold oven than it does to go ahead and heat up an oven that's already been previously been heated. So, so I will say, to get a fever in the summer when body temperature 
is already higher, is, is significant, but not as significant as getting in the winter. So to, to run a fever in the winter when body temperature is generally lower means it's a more intense fever. Good. So the Gemara says, this is great to say, good. Migmar, this is incredible. Migmar batikta kashya mecharata. I will say, listen to this. It is more difficult, it is more difficult to go ahead and relearn something that you have forgotten than to go ahead and learn something new. Well, let's say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. This is incredible. Migmar ba'atikta kasha mecharata mishalamad v'siach daito shachach, somebody who learned something but then forgot what he learned. Kasha lachser v'limot masha shachach yoser mimashalo lamad. Well, let's say, sometimes in life, it is easier to learn something new than it is to go ahead and relearn something that you have forgotten. Nehemiah says, what's the raya to that? Visimanach, tina bartina. Both say, this is incredible. Literally cement made from cement. So both say, if you go ahead and you take a wall that was made of cement, and you go ahead, or you take something made of cement, and then you grind down the cement and try to make a new batch of cement, it's much harder to go ahead and remake cement from old cement than it is to just what? Make new cement. And I both say, this is an incredible metaphor, not just in knowledge, but in life, often there is this incredible kind of like dialectic. They will say, sometimes in life, I have to go ahead and take what I have built, I mean, on a personal level, and kind of reconstruct it, right? It just needs to be tweaked. And sometimes in life, I have to totally deconstruct that which I have built. We spoke about this on Shabbos, and I have to reconstruct something new. Because that which has been built is too difficult to forge into something new. I just need to create something new for myself. Because sometimes relearning that which you have forgotten is even more difficult than learning something new. Sometimes taking the you of old and remaking it into something new is more difficult than just starting all over again as scary and as difficult as starting all over again is. This is the great challenge we have in life. When do I have to tweak myself versus when do I really have to start all over in building the self. An incredible yisod. Oh, Rabbi Yavo. My time is Rabbi. So we'll say back, back to the Gemara. So Rabbi Yavo says, what is Rabbi's logic? Where does Rabbi come from? Rashi says, the Amar Temer Shacham Mephatseah. So we'll say, where does, where does Rabbi get this idea that sunlight, that beams of sunlight disperse? So we'll say, we see this often. What do you mean, where does Rabbi get this? So you're talking about observable phenomenon. So we'll say, so remember again, for the Jew, everything comes from Torah one way or another, even the things that are naturally observable in the world. The way I know it to be true is because it comes with our, our truth, Rabbi say, comes from Torah. Our truth does not come from what we see. Our truth does not come from what we think because what you see, people can see things differently. What you think, you think one way, I think a different way. Our truth, the truth in life ultimately emanate from Torah. So how does Rebbe know that halacha the Timur Shachama, the sunbeam, goes in and dissipates? Because the Pasek says, for the conductor, al ayeles hashachar. I will say, ayeles is, is a hind, a female deer, right? A hind. So the Gemara says, al ayeles hashachar, ma ayela zu, karna maftila sakana lakan, the ayala, the hind, her horns, go ahead and literally, they wind out in different directions. 
So to again the shachar, the morning sunbeams go ahead and move from one one direction to another. They spread out as well. Amra Bizera, Lama Nimshula Estra La Ayala. So we'll say interestingly enough, there's a Mesorah that Lam Natsech Alayalas Hashachar was written by David Amalek Binavua to refer to Esther Hamalko. To refer to Esther Hamalko. Bajish actually relates that this was the capital that Esther said when she went into Ahashverosh uninvited. Uninvited, right? And she says to, she says to Mordechai, Kasher avarati, avarati. If I lose my life, I lose my life. Because we'll say, this is the capital in which David HaMalach says, Keli, Keli, Lama Azavtani. Hashem, why did you leave me? So the Medrash, very moving Medrash, has Esther HaMalka reciting this capital as she's walking in. So why was Esther referred to Ayala Sashachar? Lomar. Ma ayala rachmatsar vechaviva al baila. So the, the ayala has a narrow womb and is always, always desired by her husband. Kosha or her mate. Kosha vesha kishari shona. Av Esther haise chaviva lachajerosh kosha vesha kishari shona. Then I will say one of the miracles that occurred is that although Achajverosh had a harem filled, filled with women, the woman he desired more than anyone was Esther Hamalka. Am Rabbi Asi, Lama Nimshala Esther the Shachar, why was Esther compared to the morning? Ma Shachar Sof Kal Halayla, Af Esther Sof Kal Anisin. I say this is incredible. So why is Esther Hamalka compared ultimately to the morning? Just like, just like, just like Shachar is the, just like morning is the end of the night, so to Esther was the end of all miracles. Right? Megillah's Esther, is the end of all miracles. Gemara says, what are you talking about? Right? Remember again, Esther, Megillah's Esther, takes place after the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash, before the second Beis HaMikdash. Then they rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash. Then the Hanukkah story happens towards the middle of the second Beis HaMikdash. So what are you talking about? To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Nitzna lichtov ka'aminon. So say, ultimately, again, says the Gemara, what it means is Esther was the last miracle which was permitted to be codified and included as part of Tanakh. Right? The story of Esther is the last miracle to be codified and included in Tanakh. It's true. It's not the last miracle. There was still Hanukkah, but I will say Hanukkah was not included ultimately as part of Tanakh. To which the words, Alman Damar Esther. So I'll say just, just before, actually, well, we'll do it afterwards. Um, okay, we'll do it in a moment. So the Gemara says, Hanicha. So remember again, this is a discussion on Mesachas Megillah as to whether or not Megillah's Esther has the status of one of the Sifrei Tanakh at all. Now I will say, now the ramif- what, what's the ramification of being included as one of the... See, everyone agrees that there's a Megillah's Esther. That's, that's, not a, that's not a topic of dispute. The Shaila is, is Megillah's Esther part of Tanakh or not part of Tanakh? Is it just a book of, is it just a story? Or is it one of the Sifrei Tanakh? Now, the Nafkamina, the Nafkamina is whether or not it's Metameh Sayadai. Remember again, there's Allah brought down in Mesechus Megillah, we saw it in Shabbos also, that Sifrei Kodesh Metameh Sayadai, scrolls of Tanakh, convey ritual Tumah to the hands. It's a rabbinic Tumah. But it's ritual to whatever. Supposed to remember again. Why? Why did the rabbis institute that? Because remember what they used to do is they used to store truma next to scrolls. Because they said high kodesh for high kodesh. They're both holy. What would happen? The mice would get in. 
to the Aron Kodesh because they would want to eat the Truma and they would nibble at the scrolls as well. So in order to stop that from occurring, they said if you touch the scrolls, your hands become ritually impure. Now, again, I will say if you touch it in Truma, you make the Truma puzzle. So by going ahead and creating Tumas Hayadayim from hands that touch scrolls, they essentially totally uprooted the, the, the minog of placing the truma next to the scrolls. In any event, so the Gemara says, Machlokes, is Esther, is Megillah's Esther, one of the Sifrei Tanakh, or not? So that's good according to the opinion that says that Megillah's Esther was permitted to be written, I include in Tanakh, Elamandamar, Esther lo nitna lichtov, my ikalameimar, but both say at the end of the day, if you hold that Megillah's Esther is not part of Sifrei Tanakh, then what does it mean when it says that Esther, what, why does it refer to Esther to Ayasha? So remember again, the Gemara is trying to understand why is it that Esther Malka is referred to as Ayelas Hashachar. And the Gemara is suggesting that just as the dawn is the end of the night, so to Esther was the end of all miracles. Megillas Esther is the last book in Tanakh. To which the Gemara says, that makes sense if you hold that Esther is included in Tanakh. But if you hold that Esther is not included in Tanakh, then why, why is Esther called the Yalas Hashachar? Mokim Lakrib Shema Yafas, Amr Balazar, Rabbi Shema Yafas, Amr Balazar, Lama Nimshla Tfila, Lama Nimshlu, or Lama Nimshlu Tfilas and Shal Sadegin Kayalas. So we'll see, right? According to the opinion who holds that Megillah Esther was not included in Tanakh, so Ayalas Hashachar doesn't really refer to Esther, rather, it refers to the Tfilos of Tzadikim. To the prayers of the righteous. And why are the prayers of the righteous compared to the dawn? Just like this, this ayala, this hind. As she gets older, her horns grow, right? They, they literally, they, they grow outwards. So to the righteous. As long as they continue to pray, their tefillos are always heard. So you will say, ultimately, again, I just want to point out, it doesn't say that tefillos are always answered. Right? Remember, again, in general, we know that the power of tefillah is the fact that the Rebano Shalom hears every tefillah. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to answer, the way we ask for it to be answered or not, that's in the purview of the Rebano Shalom. But just like as the hind is growing, its horns continue to grow outward, so too, as long as the tzaddikim continue to daven, their tefillos will always be heard on high by the Rebano now we'll say, we know that we paskin, like the man who says, Esther nitna lichtov, that ultimately again, Megillah's Esther is included in Tanakh, is one of the Sifrei Tanakh, and therefore again, I will say, the general is referring to Esther, and why is Esther called the dawn? Because just like the dawn is the end of the night, so to Esther was the end of miraculous activity. Now we'll say, now I, Hanukkah, what about Hanukkah? No, no, no. Esther was the last miracle that was included in Tanakh. So we'll say, interestingly enough, so the Bnei Yisachar asks, I don't understand, why, why don't we have a Megillah's Hanukkah? I mean, there is a Megillah's Hanukkah or Megillah's Maccabin, Megillah's Antiochus, but it is not included in Tanakh. So if Hanukkah was a miracle, why wasn't the miracle of Hanukkah included in Tanakh? So we'll say, listen to how beautiful this is. So the Bnei Yisachar writes as follows. He says, Mivar, Delachain, lo nitna Hanukkah likaseh b'nevuah. The story of Hanukkah was not, was not written. So remember again, Megillah's Esther was written in Benavuah, was written in prophecy. But say, how do you know Megillah's Esther is written in Benavuah? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Because the Megillah tells us what Achashverosh is thinking, what Haman is thinking. The Megillah tells you parts of the story 
that Mordechai and Esther were not present for. So the only way that could have been written is if it was written B'Nevuah. So as the B'nei Yisachar, so why couldn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu just give Nevuah to one of the Maccabim? Let them write Megillah's Chanukah and include that in Tanakh. This is incredible. Kines ze l'holos ba sha'az nifsika nevoah ve'in chazo nifratz v'afa pikein lo'afsa tikvasenu. The Bible said this is incredible because you know what the power of Chanukah is? The power of Chanukah is that even in the absence of nevoah, cloudy soul continues to survive. Even in the absence of nevoah, we continue to be victorious. Even in the absence of prophecy, Cloud Yisrael continues to stand, continues. I will say, isn't that incredible? You see, Nevoah is beautiful. Nevoah is beautiful. But the whole kunst, the whole essence of the miracle of Hanukkah is that even in the app, you might have thought, when there's no Nevoah, there's no hope. Kamash Molon comes Hanukkah and teaches us, no, even in the absence of prophetic communication, even in the absence of the Navi, even in the absence of Nevoah, Cloud Yisrael continues to thrive. Cloud Yisrael continues to survive. We are able to meet our challenges. We are able to overcome our enemies. Ultimately, again, even in the absence of Nevoah. Says the that's the essence. Ultimately, ultimately, again, it's through our dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through our dedication to Torah, through the purification of the external and internal Mikdash, that Klal Yisrael enjoys this incredible Nitzchius. So Purim is in fact the last Sefer Tanakh to be included with some element of prophecy associated with it. But the entire essence of Hanukkah is a miracle without prophecy, a victory without prophecy, which I both say why Hanukkah occupies such a special place in our hearts to this very day. Because the Hanukkah story is our story. It's the story of victory without prophecy. It's the story of the last 2,000 years. It's the ability for Am Yisrael to remain standing, even without so many of the accessories and accoutrements that made us so powerful for all those generations, even in the absence of a Beis HaMikdash, even in the absence of a Navi, even in the absence of Nevoah, Netzach Yisrael lo Yishaker. Incredible. The Gemara goes weiter. So I say, remember again, the Gemara tells a story where they went out and they shechted the Tamid before daybreak. Before daybreak, and as a result, they had to go ahead and take it out to the base Hasrefa. So the Gemara says, Imas, when did this story occur? So you say, the Mishnah is a little bit confusing because the beginning of the Mishnah seems to indicate to us that we're talking about Yom Kippur. And certainly the end of the Mishnah is talking about Yom Kippur because the end of the Mishnah talks about us taking the Kohen Gadol to the Mikvah. So what's going on? So when, when did this story about Shakti and Tamil at the wrong time occur? Say, Imas. So if you want to say that it's during the rest of the year, so we'll say, so then remember, the, the, the way the Mishnah reads is right after this story of the Tamil Shechted by night, they took the Kohen Gadol down to the Mikvah. Well, if it's just a regular day, why are you starting the day with taking the Kohen Gadol down to the Mikvah? Rather, it must have happened on Yom Kippur. But if it's Yom Kippur, so we'll say, here's what's interesting. Generally, to have moonlight that is so strong, to have moonlight that is so strong, um, goes ahead and doesn't take place at the beginning of the month. Remember again, Yom Kippur is the 10th of the month. The moonlight would not be that strong on the 10th of the month, so as to confuse it with sunlight. So it can't really be happening on Yom Kippur as well. To which the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Yom Kippur means to say, Yom Kippur means to say, 
Horidu Kohen Gadol the base Hatvila. Rabbi Gemara says, you're right, this story didn't happen on Yom Kippur. This story of the Tamid Shechted at night didn't happen. It happened at a different time. So the first part of the Mishnah and the second and last part of the Mishnah are linked. The story in the middle has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. So the way you have to read the Mishnah is like this. On Yom Kippur, after the, after the guy who was on the rooftop would say, Burakai, it's dawn, they would take the Kohen Gadol down to the Mikvah. Tani Avod Rabbi Avin Lozo Bilvat Amru Ella Af Malika Saov Ukmitas Min Chabalayla. So we'll say, say for again, I just want to point out what the Gemara sing over here is the Mishnah really is comprised of three parts, right? Parts one and three are connected. Part two is really its own separate story, right? So part one is the dawn of Yom Kippur would start out by the individual on the rooftop saying Barakai, right? It's dawn. Once that happened, skip to part three of the Mishnah, where you take the Kohen Gadol down to the Mikvah. Part two, the middle part of the Mishnah, which contains a story where they went ahead and erroneously shechted the Tamid a little bit too early. That's a separate story. That really has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. Separate story. Okay, so I'll we'll say now the Gemara is going back and saying, by the way, this episode with, with an illegal shechita of the Tamid during the nighttime, causing the Tamid to go ahead and be taken out to the base Asrefa, could happen also with Malika Sa'of. Right? So we'll say, Malika Sa'of, remember again, carbon Oaf doesn't get shechita, instead it gets this interesting process where the Kohen goes in with his thumbnail, goes through the back of the neck of the, of the bird, essentially severs its uh, spinal cord, its vertebrae, and then goes in and flips off its head. Ukmitzas Mincha. So what's the Kmitzas Mincha? means carbon Mincha. All the Kohen would take the offer up also was what? Three middle fingers worth of fine flour. To have you offered up on the Mizbech. The rest is Shirayim and consumed. So I'll say, what happens if you did Maliko? Or you did Kamitsa by night? Tisarif. Halacha Lamai is saying, you have to burn the oven, you have to burn the Kamitsa. So Bishlama, Bishlama, Ola, Sa'of, Maida, Hava, Hava. So I'll say, I understand if you go ahead and you did Maliko at night. You have to burn the oath. We'll say why? Because what? What you did is irreversible. Maida hava hava ella comets. But we'll say if halacha you took the comets illegally at night. I don't understand. I could fix that. Nahadra, nahadra v'nehadra v'nikmitzah b'yimama. Put it back. <laughs> Put it back. So we'll say. Remember again. Remember, when you do kamitsa, you have like a bowl of flour. So you go to you take the kamitsa. You normally put the kamitsa in a klisharis, in a service utensil. Now it turns out you did it by night. No problem. Just put the kamitsa back with the rest of the flour and just try it again by day. To which the Gemara says, Hutani lavahu amrala. So he asked and he, he asked and answered, Because also here's the issue. Once you place the kamitsa in a klisharis, in a service utensil, a service utensil consecrates or sanctifies the kamitsa, even if you're putting the kamitsa in there at the wrong time. So we'll say that's the power of a klisharis. A klisharis sanctifies. And once the kamitsa has been sanctified, halachalamaisa what? You can't put it back. There is no going back once it's been consecrated inside of a klisharis. Look at Rashi. Klisharis mekachin shlobizmano. Bakomets. So essentially the Gemara is suggesting is once you put it into a klisharis, even though you put it in at night, 
it's sanctified. Because apparently a klisharis has the ability to sanctify the Chometz even at the wrong time. Even at the wrong time. Rav says, Meisvei, is that true? Zaklau, kolakarid bayom, kodesh bayom. Anything that is offered by day can be or sanctified by day. The kolakarid balayla, kodesh balayla, anything consecrated at night can be consecrated at night. The kolakarid bo, bain bayom, bain balayla, kodesh bain bayom, bain balayla. And anything which can be consecrated by day or by night can be consecrated by day or by night, which I will say tells you what, tells you what. So therefore, again, a karma mincha, which could only be offered up by day, right? Could only be, should only be sanctified, consecrated when? By day. And therefore, if you went ahead and you put the kamitz into a klisharis, that shouldn't consecrate it. Raise the kasha, to which the Yomar says, kalakari bayom, kadosh bayom, kadosh bayom, bayom in balay lalo. So dilma, eno kadosh li karev, ala kadosh li pasel. Oh, they will say, maybe what it means is like this. Under normal circumstances, Anything offered by day could only be consecrated by day to offer it up, to offer it up. But it could very well be that an item consecrated by, offered by day can be consecrated even by night to make it possible. In other words, I will say, it's possible that a Kreba Mincha could only be consecrated by day. And therefore, the only way to go ahead and offer up that Kamitza is to put it in a Klisharis by day. But if you put a Kamitza in a klisharis at night, although you can't offer up that kamitza, it becomes consecrated enough that what? That it becomes possible. That essentially you've created an irreversible process. So I will say, what it's saying is, a klisharis essentially has two levels of sanctification. There's a sanctification level that allows you to offer up the carbon that can only occur by day, but there's a sanctification process that makes it sanctified enough that it's an irreversible process, which means I can't take the kamitza back out and put that back in with everything else. That could happen even by night. So Master Rabbi Zera, so Rabbi Zera says, raises the kasha. This is a very interesting case. Sider es halacha mesavazichet achra So I will say now, under normal circumstances, so remember again, when do you put the lechem haponim on the, on the shulchan? You put the lechem haponim on by day, uh, on Shabbos day. On Shabbos day. So we'll say, listen to what happens in this case. In this case, for whatever the reason, you got delayed and you didn't put the lechem upon him and the bazichin. The bazichin are the, are the, are the, um, the spoons of frankincense. You didn't put them on until Sunday. Okay? So now watch this. Sidra as halechem ves habazichin achra Shabbos. Shabbos. And I will say, what happened? You went ahead and you offered up the, the frankincense on the following Shabbos. So what's Talach Rabozai? Psula. Ultimately, again, it doesn't work. Right? It's possible. Now, why is it possible, Rabozai? Because you're lacking these. Normally, again, remember, the way it works is the Lechem HaPalim and the Bazichin have to be on the Shulchan from Shabbos to Shabbos. Here, you put it on Sunday. So therefore, again, by definition, it's, la- it's lacking the requisite time. It wasn't on from Shabbos to Shabbos. So let's say, again, if you put it on Sunday and you offer up the Bazich and you put the Bazich on the Mizbeach, that's Shabbos, it's possible. It's an invalid offering because you're missing time. To which the Gemara says, Kate said, Yase, so what should you do? said, this is very interesting. What should you do? Leave it on an additional week. We saw this already in Shkalim, by the way. Leave it on an additional week. Why? Shafilu amda ala shulchan yomim rabim in bekach I will say this is incredible. Apparently, 
for the Bazichin and the Lechem Apanim, the minimum amount of time they have to be on the Shulchan is from one Shabbos to the next. But technically speaking, if you, leave the, if you left it on longer, it's very interesting, if you left it on longer, that does not invalidate the Lechem or the Bazichin. So this is fascinating. If you went ahead and for some reason you missed Shabbos, and you didn't put the lechem on the bazichin on the shulchan until Sunday. What should you do, Rabbi? Say what should, you, what should you do? Leave it on what? An additional week. An additional week. So Rabbi said, and therefore what? And then essentially offer up the bazichin on the second Shabbos. Now at that point in time, the lechem and the bazichin have been on the shulchan almost how long? Almost how long? Almost two weeks. But at least now they've gotten the requisite seven days. So the Gemara says, but I don't understand why. So I will say, but one second. Let's bring this all together now. You just told me that if you put a kamitza of mincha in a klishares at night, what does that do? We'll say, what does that do? What we said before, what does that do? It makes it possible. It makes it possible. Now remember again, putting the mincha in the klishares at night does not allow the mincha to be offered up, but it makes it kaddish enough that it can't be returned to the rest of the flour and essentially makes it possible it can't be offered up. So let me get this straight. So you're telling me now, I made a mistake. I offered up, I put the lechem upon him on the bazichan on the shulchan on Sunday. I shouldn't have done that, right? I should have gone to the Shabbos. So I can't offer it up that Shabbos because it hasn't been on the shulchan long enough. I'm going to leave it on an additional week and offer it up the following Shabbos. But I don't understand. On that second Shabbos night, Rabbi why doesn't the presence of the shulchan, really we're not talking about the lechem, why doesn't the presence of the bazichin on the shulchan effectively become possible? Why doesn't it invalidate the bazichin the same way that putting the kamitza in the klishares at night rendered the kamitza possible to be offered? Why doesn't the presence of the bazichin on that last Shabbos night render it possible as well? Amarava. Mandi Kamosif Shapir Kamosif. It's a good kasha. It's a good kasha. Vavud Rabbi Abin Nami Masnisikamar. Because over here, here we go, boss. Uh, I'm sorry, did I skip? Uh, I'm sorry, did I skip? Listen to this. Here's the fundamental difference. Here's the difference. Laila is not Mechos Zman, but Yom is Mechos Rabosim. It's very interesting. The night before, the night before, okay, here we go. See, I will say, there's a concept of Mechos Zman. Mechos Zman means as follows, that a carbon, right, every single carbon has a particular time that it has to be offered up on. And if that carbon is lacking the requisite time, that's called Mechos Zman. When you go ahead and you put the lechem on the shulchan on Sunday, that lechem is muchos rizman. You're lacking the requisite time. When you go ahead and you put a kamitza inside of a klisharis at night, interestingly enough, as much as it can't be offered up, that's not muchos rizman. The Rebbe say, why is it? It's interesting. Why is it not muchos rizman? Why not? Because nighttime is the beginning of the day. So technically speaking, I'm in the calendrical correct ballpark. I just can't offer up the carbon at that time. But see, hear the difference? See, when you put the bazichin on the shulchan on Sunday, that's mechosr zman. Because the bazichin should have been put on the shulchan when? When? 
on Shabbos. So I am lacking the requisite time. But when you put the kamitza inside the klisharis at night, it's not an issue of I'm in the right time. I'm in the right time. I'm just in the wrong time frame. So calendrically, I'm correct, just in the wrong part of that particular day. Therefore, the Gemara says, so kasavra laila in mechos rizman, yom mechos rizman. Well, that's as well as we draw more line. Kimati beishimshi tikdosh v'tifsal. If that's the case, Rabbi then by the bazichin, when you come to the second Shabbos night, when you come to the second Shabbos night, shouldn't the bazichin then ultimately again become kaddish and ultimately then become pasul? Amravina shekidim v'silko. We'll say, what do you do on the second Shabbos night? You remove the bazichin on Shabbos night and you put them back on Shabbos morning. So you don't have to do that. Why? So we'll say, here's the difference. When you put the bazichin on the shulchan on Sunday, they will say, what's the halachic, what's the halachic impact of putting bazichin on the shulchan on Sunday? To which the Gemara essentially says, it's like a monkey put it on there. In other words, it's like nothing. The act of putting bazichin on the shulchan on Sunday is a halachically irrelevant act. The only time the act becomes relevant is when Rabbi Osai is on the next Shabbos, is on the next Shabbos. And then halacha lemaisa, once it happens the next Shabbos, then what? Then you leave it on for another full week, and then it becomes impactful for the week after. So Rabbi Osai, so just to tie this in, because at least we have to stop. So halacha lemaisa, the Gemara says, when you, all the Gemara's pointing out, we'll say, remember just how we got into this topic. We spoke about a Talmud that was shechted by night. And what's the Talmud that shechted by night? What's the impact of that? What's the impact of that? It's possible. You have to take it out to base Asrefa. All the Gemara's about it's not just Talmud. We'll say, what happens if you put Kamitsa in a Klishare at night? What happens? What happens? It's possible. I, why can't you just put it back into the rest of the bowl with the rest of the flour? Why not? Why not? Because we'll say what it turns out of this halacha lemaisa, the klisharis ultimately again is mekadeshit, but it's mekadeshit ultimately not enough to offer it because it happened that night. But it's mekadeshit enough to go ahead and make it puzzle. Contrast that with the act of putting the bazichin on the shulchan. If you put the bazichin on the shulchan on Sunday, what's the halachic impact of that act? Zero. What do you have to do? You have to leave it on through Shabbos. Once Shabbos comes, ah, then it's killed the bazich or put on. You leave it on to the next Shabbos, and then it can be offered up. That's the Shabbos. We'll stop over here. We'll see you tomorrow.